My name is Matt. This is Crypto Heartbeat, and I'm going to tell you something. We got a special show for you today on The Pulse. You know, the engagement that's been happening around this interview has been absolutely incredible. And I'm super excited to have Dr. Black, the professor himself, the skeptic, the new movie star of the Highest of Stakes movie. And it's really cool because you guys have been engaging with him on Twitter. And what an open-minded and um, just really kind person. And it's really cool to have someone willing to engage with us and give us uh, feedback. And, you know, a lot of you want to convert him, right? You want him to be a hexagon. So here's, I had an idea. I thought, you know what, who do I want Lamont Black to be? You know, like, you know, you think about it, you like project something onto somebody and you're like, you know, I'd really like it if he was this character for our community. And I decided who it was. So, you know, the, the Star Wars movies, right? You've got this evil empire, right? Palpatine, this evil empire. And, you know, there's a resistance. There's this ragtag group of pirates, kind of, you know, they might have the Millennium Falcon, right? They might have some of the infrastructure, but you know what? That's a small group of people. But this is what happens. I'm sure you've seen this. There's one guy. He's in a stormtrooper outfit. His name is Finn. That's who Lamont Black is to me. He potentially is the guy who leaves the stormtrooper and comes and fights for the resistance. We'll see if I'm projecting the right thing on Lamont Black. But we'll see if he's a Finn character or not, folks. But I want you to get to know who he is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a, a bio. And I want you to hear who Lamont Black is. Dr. Black. Because he's got two PhDs, folks. So get ready for this and we'll bring him on. Lamont Black is an esteemed academic and financial futurist dedicated to exploring the dynamic nexus of finance and technology. He holds two PhDs. Dr. Black serves as a beacon in the realm of financial education with a particular emphasis on the transformative areas of cryptocurrency, blockchain, and data analytics. Currently, Dr. Black holds the distinguished position of a tenured associate professor uh, of finance at the Driehaus College of Business at DePaul University in Chicago. Yet his trajectory is one enriched by diverse experiences. Before joining DePaul, he served for eight crucial years, and this is 2005 to 2013, as an economist at the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C. This is the depths and the bowels of literally the Death Star, if you know what I'm saying. His tenure Coinciding with the tumultuous period of the global financial crisis has endowed him with an invaluable vantage point on financial markets, the economy, and the very essence of money. So Dr. Black is going to join us right now, and I'm super excited because he's not only a professor, he's not only an economist, he's not only a PhD, he's also a movie star. Folks, welcome to The Pulse. Dr. Lamont Black, greetings, sir. Hey, man. Great to be here. <laughs> it's so good to have you here. Um, man, what a whirlwind this has got to be for you. Here you've gone from, you know, the uh, the hallowed halls of academia to the big screen. What's it like being seeing yourself uh, 60 feet tall on, on the big screen? It is pretty fun. I mean, that's part of why I'm inviting all my friends and co-workers. It's not every day that you get to be in a movie. So, uh yeah, I went this last weekend. I'm going again on Saturday. It's been a blast. Yeah, and the cool thing about it to me is it wasn't, this isn't some YouTube video. I mean, this is a full, you know, feature film, and it's really cool. You play a really critical part in this because every, 
you know, good uh, movie or in this case documentary needs to have essentially a bit of an antagonist or how they've kind of called you a skeptic. Um, what was that like? How'd you get involved in the highest of stakes movie? Yeah, so it was, it was really through Kelly. So um, the directors found Kelly as a fraud expert. She's a more public persona than me. I don't know if um, the folks know, but uh, so she has her own documentary that she produced and directed called All the Queen's Horses. It's about a fraud case here in the state of Illinois. Uh, it was on Netflix. And so, you know, she's very much been out there. So they found her. Uh, but as soon as she realized this was about crypto, she didn't have much experience about crypto. So she reached out to me. She made the introduction. And so that scene in the movie where she and I are like just sitting across from each other talking and I'm trying to explain all this stuff to her, like that was the first scene I was in at all. And so um, th that was kind of one afternoon and then it just kind of went on from there. Gotcha. Well, it's, uh, it's incredible, and I think that um, a lot of folks in the Hex and Pulse Chain community are really intrigued with your, your perspective. And so, you know, I would say you got a chance to interact with Richard Hart. How did you kind of prepare for, prepare for this? Did you do research on Hex and, and Pulse Chain ahead of time, or did you just kind of go into it and say, hey, let me see what this is all about, and kind of learned as you went? Yeah, so... Um... You know, I've been in crypto really since 2017. So this isn't like totally my first rodeo in that sense. Right. Um, you know, I had been studying Bitcoin. I read the Bitcoin white paper. And so, you know, I kind of like five, six years or so of having been in the general space. And then when Kelly, I still remember she texted me and said like, hey, have you ever heard of Hex? No, I had it, you know, so it was totally new to me when this project started. Um, I did do a little bit of reading and research. Um, and, you know, I think like for most people in traditional finance, which I think I would qualify as that, you know, the optics, when you first encounter it, you're just like, this is crazy. Um, and, you know, I think also going on, you know, social media and other places, there was there was just so much criticism out there that it was kind of easy to slide into that skeptic role. And so when we stepped into that first uh, interview scene, I hadn't really paid any attention to Richard or any of that. It was just, is this thing a scam or not? And so I just tried to lay out some of the concerns that are out there. Um, and then it was at the end of shooting that that they said, hey, we're flying to Spain. It was something like next week. We think you should come with us. And I was like, uh, okay. So uh, so I had about a week, I guess, to prepare for that. And um, I didn't watch a ton of Richard's stuff. I wasn't sure that would be helpful. I tried to just focus on the project and the technology. And, and so when we sat down, uh, I kind of knew that he was known to be kind of this bigger than life character. And so I tried to kind of prepare myself for that. I drank a, you know, a big cup of coffee that morning, but uh, that was about it. Okay. So, so you mentioned when you first kind of looked into Hex, it was a bit scary. And give us your first impressions. What were your kind of first impressions? And I don't mean about the contract or how it's structured or any of that. What's your first impression that you got when you just started looking into to Hex as a project? 
Yeah, so I think maybe I could list like three things, maybe more will come to mind. Um, you know, I think the first thing you encounter is kind of the marketing and Richard aside, just, you know, yep. the website and other things, the way it's structured feels a little bit like flashy. And so it's just like, I'm used to looking at other crypto projects that just look professional. And I'm not saying Hex doesn't look professional, but it, it feels like it's kind of focused on trying to be like, ah, ah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so, so that was a bit of a turnoff. I'm just, I'm telling you like how it yeah. felt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then as a crypto person, I think there were two other things that like rubbed me the wrong way. And, and I think some of this made it into the film. Like one is the word staking. Like, I mean, for me, like, I've been around long enough that like when I hear staking, I think proof of stake blockchain yeah. and like staking crypto on a proof of stake blockchain, which is not what Hex is uh, or, or what it means by staking. And so that just that was also like they've adopted this word that means something totally different to everyone else. That seemed really weird. Um, and then third. I had over the last few years gotten pretty deep into decentralized finance or DeFi. And so I, you know, gotten familiar with Ethereum and smart contracts. That was relatively, um, you know, understandable. But from what little I learned there at the beginning, this whole idea of like burning the token and then reminting it at the end, it just seemed like, well, it's not useful in any way. I think that's kind of one of the points that really comes out. Uh, like what my big question is like, what's the value? What is the utility? And to me, it like I was used to DeFi protocols where you have depositors into the contract and then you have people borrowing funds out of that contract. And so the crypto is being used for some purpose. And so uh, people have pointed out, like Richard tried to explain virtual lending in the that interview. It made no sense to me at the time. Um, and so it was just I think it also like didn't fit any of my DeFi categories. I think that was another kind of red flag for me. OK, OK, so we'll get to kind of where things have gone. And, and I love how engaged you are on Twitter. I, I, I credit you actually with engaging with the community. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Richard for a second. You got a chance to visit with him one-on-one. -on -one. You know, you you kind of had this preconceived notion that he was larger-than-life character. What was your impression of Richard when you, you met him and, and you spent a little bit of time with him? Yeah, several people have asked me about this. So, um, you know, when Richard, they, they also, it's funny, they set this up so that we never met. We didn't, like, talk. They like You know, it's kind of like TV. They like to capture the moment. So... Yeah. Like literally, like Kelly and I were sitting at the table. He like walks into the room and sits down. And uh, I think, you know, when that conversation started, it felt like a debate. You know, I, I was kind of like my mind spinning of like, OK, how do I outmaneuver this guy? And I think that's what many of his kind of online, you know, streaming was around that time, especially like the Bitcoin folks and other or some TradFi person is like 
it's almost like a prize fight of yeah. like, all right, yeah. we're putting up Richard against this person, yeah. go. Yeah. And and so I kind of went into it with that kind of feeling. Um, but one thing I'm so thankful for, and I, I think this comes out in the movie, is like gradually Kelly and I relaxed. I think Richard relaxed and it turned into a conversation. And, um, you know, I do feel like I would say I enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking to Richard and, and I felt like he uh, was open to us. You, a little bit of the film, you can see there were times where like we start talking over each other and I'm thankful that he like that, 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 you know, I would have to do that sometimes, but you know, during that conversation, he would eventually stop and let me make my point, And I appreciate that. Uh, and then afterwards we, it was right before lunch. Then we sat around the table, we had lunch together and, uh, it was, you know, it was great. He, he was very personable. We got, we went for a ride in the Ferrari afterwards. You know, I was hesitant about that because of this, like, you know, I'm an academic, I'm meaning I'm maintaining objectivity. Um, but I can honestly say, like, I, I liked Richard. I think I don't like a lot of the things he does and he says, but if you ask me about that individual day, that was a positive experience. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's shift, let's shift gears. I want to talk about, you know, I joked with you in the green room that, you know, you represent kind of this legacy financial to a lot of people, I think, in the community. But I think it's kind of unfair to, to pigeonhole you without asking you about it. And so I would love to kind of get your perspective because you have a very unique perspective, at least I assume you do, because of what you were involved with, especially at really the, the formative time of uh, of Bitcoin. I mean, you were in Washington, D.C., right? You were, you were an economist for the Federal Reserve during the 2008 financial crisis. What was that experience like? And I know that's a lot to kind of summarize. Yeah, I'll take a crack at it. So, um, so I finished grad school in like 2005. I, I went, moved from IU, uh, Indiana to, to Washington, D.C. I was just a dissertation intern, so I was very new, just kind of getting oriented. Um, and I was on the banking side. So the Fed really, you know, they do money and banking. I was kind of in the banking area. A lot of it was like bank risk, bank regulation. And, um, and so I had a few years to kind of get familiar with all of that. And then, you know, many people are probably old enough to remember you kind of get the, the housing market starting to ramp up in 2007, driven by the, the mortgage bubble. And when all of that started to unravel uh, with securitization, subprime mortgage lending, no doc loans, all of that, you know, it's fascinating to go back and read that history as it was happening. Cause like, so I, I served under chairman Ben Bernanke. I was there when he was sworn in under president George W. Bush. And so it was like, it was such a cool experience to be at the table in that sense, but no one saw this coming. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, well, like you should have, and maybe we should have, but I still remember there's quotes about Bernanke saying like the subprime mortgage crisis is contained kind of like, you know, inflation was transitory. Yeah. Uh, so the Fed, you know, never gets it fully right. And then 2008, when everything really hit the fan, you know, just on the banking side, these massive bank failures and, you know, really the Fed being put in this position of do we bail out or not? 
And um, I would say that traditional economists are still somewhat torn about whether the Fed made the right decisions. And so if you kind of contrast Bear Stearns with Lehman, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. So, you know, we bailed out Bear Stearns, we did not bail out Lehman. And, and so if you like bailouts, Bear Stearns was the right decision. If you don't, it was the wrong decision. And when we let Lehman fail, that was September 2008, many people, that was the the depths of the crisis. If you look at a stock chart, that was the depths of the US stock market. And so that was where things really started to unravel, you know, financial meltdown, contagion, all of that, which is the big fear if you don't do the bailout, that then it spreads. And it's so fascinating to me to look back on the history of crypto. And, you know, the, the Bitcoin white paper, my understanding was published on the internet in October 2008. I, someone, I heard recently it was literally on Halloween. I don't know if that's true or not. Like somebody was like making a joke about that. But that's like one month after the failure of Lehman. And so the timing of these yeah. two things is just fascinating. And, you know, I, that's when I read the Bitcoin white paper paper, not until 2017, because like, I, I didn't know any of that was happening at the time, like we weren't paying attention to that. Um, but when I read it in 2017, and this whole idea of money without governments, without banks, which I that kind of that, like that little lecture I give in the film, like, it just clicked. Like my kind of pe people talk about, am I taking the pill or he believes, you know, yeah. on, on Twitter with this stuff. And, and we'll, we'll talk about hacks in a, a minute. But like, for me, the crypto pill was reading the Bitcoin white paper. It just yeah. it just made sense. Well, that's good to know, and I think that's helpful. So, what you know, obviously, you you you're an educator, right? There's there's a, a primary purpose to what you do. You're obviously, economist. What kind of school of thought, and and how has that, um, you know, the developments of cryptocurrency and this kind of censorship resistant, no middlemen thing, affected kind of your view of economics, or has it? Um, and so what, what's your kind of, where, where, where do you come out of? Where do you find yourself as far as a position when it comes to economics? Or hexonomics? Or hexonomics, if you will. <laughs> I love that word. Yeah. I'm going to drop that every time I can. We could like, somebody could keep score. How many yes. times I'm able to use that? Um, yeah, so I'm a, I'm an economist by training. You mentioned like the two PhDs. Like I started as an economist and then gradually made my way into finance. And so I think all this like game theory, economic frameworks, like that's the pump of minerals, if you yep. will, of like, how does all this stuff work? Uh, and that's where like my brain gets fired up thinking about it. And I like to, some people ask me how I got into crypto and I like to tell them, uh, it, so 2013 was when I left the Fed, moved to Chicago, started working at DePaul, started teaching undergrad students money and banking, traditional finance econ course, started talking about the history of money, the characteristics of money. It was my students who said, well, what about Bitcoin? I hadn't really thought about that. That started that process. And I was skeptical of Bitcoin, like most people, but gradually they pushed me. We talked about it. We learned together. And I, I turned that corner and gradually started to see the value in Bitcoin. But it wasn't just the investment. One of my big kind of pet peeves is when people get so focused on crypto prices that they lose sight of the technology, the, the economics, the game mechanics. It's like, 
the prices are just this like thing that moves around yeah. on top of this whole infrastructure underneath. And so for me, it was really like blockchain. So I started a course on blockchain for grad students. It was private blockchains. We used uh, um, Hyperledger. And then gradually I transitioned from Hyperledger to Ethereum. Um, but as far as like the economics, I think my favorite word in this whole ecosystem is decentralized. I feel like that captures the whole, the ethos of it. And so, you know, if, if you think about that politically or financially, uh, it's, it's a word that I think scares a lot of people, but for me, it's very empowering. I think yeah. democracies are decentralized. I think capitalism is decentralized. And so, you know, as we think about how our economy is evolving, I think many folks would probably agree, like, it's, it's this sort of like power to the people type yeah. thing that oh, yeah. I just, it's so exciting if it can be done right. Well, that's, that's really helpful. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more, I guess, philosophically about this to kind of see where you stand and where you fit in. Cause you know, you're right in line with so many people in our community when it comes to, and hang on one, I'm having an issue there. When it comes to our community's perspective of what this actually means, right? And I think the highest of stakes movie title is perfect, right? You know, we talk about what is at stake right now within the economic system. And so I'm going to give you kind of a perspective that that I see in our community that I personally have. And I want you to, to reflect on that, but also kind of give me your opinion too, because, you know, what, what really started with that Satoshi white paper is really something that is a bit of a clarion call to so many people that at that time you know, I would say we're pretty libertarian, right? People that saying, you know, stay out of my business. And this idea of real true decentralization, you know, what we see in this marketplace is lip service to DeFi. Okay, so DeFi as a convenient term, but really an incremental, you know, adaptation of um, the traditional financial system, meaning its tentacles getting into it, i.e. BlackRock getting into Bitcoin and ETFs. Mm -hmm. Whereas there's something, and I, and I would say this, and you probably heard some of this before, but those that were following Richard Hart at the very beginning, and so I think the people in kind of 2017, 2018, that crash and that bear market, there were so many people that were that were truly scamming, right? There were all these fake influencers who were trying to sell you something. It was just... Um, so many people got rugged, so many people got destroyed. And here's a guy who was kind of, he was tough, he was smart, but he was also um, warning people. He was bringing value at that time. It was a very different Richard Hart than you see in the movie. It was someone who was trying to bring value, right? He was writing um, self-help books. He was talking to people about, you know, stop drinking, smoking, stop playing games, you know, focus I just watched on, that one. Yeah, in that, and it's... And so that resonated with a group of people that said, there's no one out there that's willing to tell us the truth. And he was warning people about BlockFi and Celsius and FTX and all of these things. And he built this reputation for being one who was an advocate. And so if you can get past the flashy stuff and some of the language, what you realize is no one's speaking this way. And if they do, you know, they charge you money for it. Mm -hmm. And so here is this guy, and I see him as, you know, the, this quintessential advocate who's saying, you know what? This is a powerful tool, really, ultimately, to free the captives from debt and consumer slavery. If we can give people, essentially, a new form of fiat where we can agree in community of what value is, this could be a powerful revolution. And 
that evolved. I got involved in that kind of halfway through, and I realized, hold on a second, there's a new economic order coming if we can preserve the true tenets of DeFi, which are censorship resistance, you know, no counterparty risk, reducing or removing middlemen, and truly being able to, you know, we can protect things like speech and movement and transaction and privacy. And these things can be done where everyone is essentially on even footing, that there's not some elite folks who have more control. And of course, in light of what was happening in the financial crisis, but also what we've got with, you know, with the, the pandemic and, you know, the inflation and all of these things, there's a group of us, I think a, a wide group of people in the Hexagon and Pulsagon community who see that if we don't protect true DeFi, if we don't really um, advocate for its purity, like it was in the original Satoshi white paper, then really we're gonna find ourselves in a situation where this is used against us. What are your, what are your thoughts on that as it relates to, is it that um, dire? Is, or is it, oh, there's nothing to worry about here. There's not people taking over control and we don't need this. Or, or is this actually a, a legitimate uh, concern? I do think it's a legitimate concern. I'm not sure I would draw some of the same conclusions as other folks about what to do with that concern. Um, so for instance, like one example is like money is digitizing. I, when I talked about crypto to TradFi people, I try and explain it first as digital cash. Like before we get into the idea of investments and yield and all that stuff, it's just, you know, the Bitcoin white paper title is peer to peer electronic cash. Like that was the original purpose. And so I think it, it's helpful to go back to cryptocurrency and help people understand kind of what it was designed to do. Uh, so we're moving from physical cash to digital cash and money is essential to an economy. And so and I, and I know many hexagons believe this, like money is power. The one who controls the money, you know, it controls everything else. And so I do think the Bitcoin white paper was a bit of a like shot across the bow of like, hey, like we can do this without you, without central banks, without centralized money, uh, which I think is great. Like I'd love to, to put that out there. And, and when I'm talking to my students, before we get into any of the technology or the asset pricing, it's like, what, are, what is the idea behind all of this? And how do we think about that competition between these two ideas? And so if you think about moving towards digital cash, like central banks are also doing that. Yep. You know, the Fed put out a white paper last year about producing a digital dollar. So this thing called central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. And some TradFi no-coiners hear that and they think, oh, well, like that's gonna, we, we no longer need crypto if once we have a digital dollar. And I've been out there saying like, these two things are not equivalent. Like what's the first word in CBDC? Central. It yeah. is, you can put it on a blockchain, but it is not decentralized. And so I think you're totally right that decentralization is a like a counterforce to government overreach which is healthy right so i fully agree with that where i'm not sure i agree with some folks is there, there are many people in the crypto community who are just straight up anarchists yeah you know they 
are anti-government and would argue that government should be abolished, that the Fed should be, you know, eliminated, all of these things. And maybe it's because of my background, but I don't see this as either or. It's like, you know, we wouldn't want a one party political system like Republicans or like Democrats. I think that tension between them is healthy. I think similarly, the tension between centralization and decentralization is healthy. Um, because, you know, like there are certain things governments do that I value. I am a, you know, I might lean libertarian. I, there's a lot of things they do that I don't think they need to be doing. I'm, I like limited government, but, you know, when it comes to roads and infrastructure and things like that, like I don't want to return to, uh, you know, pre-government days. Uh, so as it relates to this, where, what we do with this, what I don't like, and I've, I've talked about this in some of the tweets, is this tribalism of like, one is right and one is wrong, whether that's Hex versus Bitcoin or DeFi versus TradFi. It's just, you know, these types of like, it's truth or not truth. It, that to me turns into religious tribalism and we're not going to get anywhere. I think it's about these things coexisting and that the thing we've got to figure out in the next few years is how do they intersect? So if you think about like fiat on ramps and crypto exchanges, like these two worlds do not exist independently. They are linked and regulation is part of that linkage. And so you can rail on regulation, but at some point we have to figure out what are the rules of the game and how do we build this bridge together so that they don't just build it their way. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think people see is in because there's lack of, you know, regulatory clarity, we see essentially somewhat of a weaponization or at least how some people see as a weaponization of, you know, using, you know, the SEC using this regulatory or, or lack of regulatory to um, basically do it through enforcement. And, you know, obviously we need good crypto regulation as it relates to you know, the legislature actually making rules versus it going, you know, from a, a regulatory agency to the courts, right? We need actually some guidance and some leadership in this area. And there's obviously, there's some things that are happening and other countries are doing some things that I think are probably a little further along than we are. The question though I've got for you is, you know, there are those that are, I guess, um, are fearful. And of course, a couple things that just come to mind. I mean, just yesterday, the WHO just adopted a global um, health system that's based on the EU system, where we literally, if we're going to participate in this future um, of you know managing people's health records as it relates to everything from vaccines to you know managing the next pandemic, that we need to give over some authority to a non-elected global entity, and then you start looking at things like well. People in Canada, if they were on the wrong side of the uh, the aisle, um, they got their bank accounts frozen for buying a sandwich for somebody who was, um, you know, protesting. We, we're seeing more and more of this. And I think that the thing that people have a concern with, and I, I'm certainly one of these people, is that, you know, the this idea of kind of coexisting, I agree, that tension. But when it comes time to money, um, you know, there's a there's we feel like there is a force that is wanting to do everything it can to keep us from having control of the money because they see the implications of what 
how much power you would have outside of government control if you actually had your own money. And I think that that's the thing that, you know, they're kind of late to the party. This Pandora's box has already been open. But what do you think? You know, do you think this is a matter of, well, just, you know, practical regulations and we can coexist? Or do you think there is actually, um, can they coexist? I guess that's a really big question. Yeah, I, I do think they can, but I think it's, it's complicated and it's going to be messy. Yeah. So like when I think about regulation, I'm not saying like the SEC is like the white knight and that, you know, everything they do is right. Like they're a human institution, just like the Fed is a human institution. Sometimes the Fed gets it wrong. Sometimes the SEC gets it wrong. Um, when I think about like what's happening in Washington, I, like I don't know how much you all have followed. Like there was a... Um, uh, released by the, the White House in March of last year, basically on digital assets. And it called for clarity, like yep. you said. Like there's a lot of people in the crypto community who would say the problem isn't regulation, it's right. regulatory uncertainty. Yep. And so we need this conversation. Like this is, it's sort of like there's a train coming and you can either like pretend it's not coming and bury your head in the sand, but like, how do we get ahead of this so that we have a seat at the table for that conversation? Um, and I'm just, I'm not a big, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to like getting to know the community better. And I think one thing the community will learn about me is like, I'm not an extremist. Like, I just feel like these debates turn into like, it's either, you know, big government or, you know, we gotta go like live in a bunker out in the woods. Like that is not the choice. Like it's somewhere in the middle. I don't know what that looks like, but like we've got to try and figure that out. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a, you know, there is a lot of fear, right? And there's a lot of uncertainty. There has been, you know, a lot of speculation and a lot of degenerate behavior, right? We've seen all of, a great mix of those things in this. Um, but there's a lot of hope also that this era of kind of a new economic order has has um shown people right i've met a I lot of a mexicans new hope. yeah you brought a up new hope Wars. that's that is right <laughs> you know come on we're gonna make you finn here. oh man finn we're gonna get you over from the dark side i guess the the thing that i really would like to to explore with you is you know we see you know we're reaping the harvest of um you know brenton woods right? We're dealing with um, fiat currency. We're in an era where we can just print ourselves out, you know, of this situation. And of course, I know you're a student of these things. If you look at what was really the world reserve currencies, how long have they lasted? And when you look at, you know, sovereign debt of nations, they typically don't pay it back. Usually there's a war and we take other people's stuff. We find ourselves in a really, I think, interesting position with you know dollar dominance what's happening geopolitically do you think i mean i i feel like i've seen so much hope and so much opportunity for regular people and what i love about this hexagon community is it is like pirates right these aren't phd folks right these are regular people who drive trucks and these are people who are across the board but there's something really common about the hexagon community that i think ties it together and it's really it's people who have seen hard times, but they have hope of a future where they actually have perhaps 
perhaps an asymmetric opportunity here with crypto. And even though people are like, well, this is just speculative and it's like gambling. Well, I've met some really some people that their lives are absolutely transformed because they participated in this. And, you know, when you think about that hope, for example, we work with a group out of the Philippines and their crypto project is serving people in poverty in um, remote churches. So it's a 5,000 churches across the Philippines, and their whole goal is one of philanthropy, humanitarianism, uh, humanitarianism, um, healthcare, you know, opportunity, um, education. And when I see things like that, DeFi is such hope to them. What do you mean? So the government isn't giving me a handout? No, you have to engage with the contract. So how does this this work where I, I stake and I, I, it's like an annuity. Oh, okay. So I don't have to ask somebody permission. So this is based on, you know, my interaction, no middlemen. And there's something that happens with people when they actually get a taste of real true DeFi that is so hopeful. And it seems like to me that um, there's a lot more promise in that than just saying, well, we're digitizing money. There, there's a potential revolution here that's good for ordinary people, not so that they can rise up and take the government down. No, because this is the, the shifting of a system, and it only can serve, because the government's not going to be like, hey, let's give it away, right? That's very rare. They want to consolidate and centralize power. And if we don't actively work together, it's going to be difficult for, I think, regular people and people that don't have political power to have this kind of opportunity. And I think that's what drives a lot of this Hexican community. What's your response to that? And, and do you just think that that's just gonna be a, kind of a minority in the group and we're all gonna be able to kind of get along? Well, I do think that I would agree that crypto and Hex in particular as, as a crypto, like it creates what I would consider like an outside opportunity from TradFi and fiat currency, which is good. Like fiat currency makes a lot of people worse off. I mean, Richard's made that point. Um, and so having that outside option to do different money, different finance, I think helps keep TradFi accountable. Like, because if they can just say like, you have to play our game whether you want to or not, but if we can like put the marbles down and say, no thanks, we're gonna go play our game over here. Yeah. Like, that's really cool. Like I'm all about that type of innovation and independence to say like, we actually don't like your game. Like we think we have a better game. Uh, man, that was one of the threads today. Yeah. I yeah. just like, I love that idea of just thinking of like, these are just different games and some games are better than others. Um, but to come back to your point, like it, it can change people's lives. And I think that, that dream of financial independence really like fuels people and gives them that hope, which I think is awesome. Like you said, like if you're grinding in a minimum wage job day in and day out, like you don't have a whole lot of hope, but you know, exponential gains can give you that hope. I think one, one thing I like about the movie, um, you know, is that family that it follows and just like putting that money into hex, like the only, the, issue is like it is a speculative investment 
Yeah. And so I don't think, I don't want to get into this idea of like crypto is going to save the world and it's financial inclusion and it's the path to peace and world, you know, we're going to solve world harmony with crypto or, or world poverty with crypto. Like that's a little bit too much for me. Like it can help people, but it can also hurt people. That's why we've got to figure out the right path down the middle. Okay. I understand. Yeah, that's a a moderate view. That makes a lot of sense. Like I said, yeah, not an yeah, that's good. That's <laughs> good. Well, I appreciate that. And I think that what resonates with me is that you're open to and you see the opportunity that comes with this independence, right? And I think, you know, one of the things that's happening, I'm really curious about your thoughts on Pulse Chain as well. But if you've watched any of Richard's kind of long streams and, and really dug into him, and I've watched everything that Richard's ever done, there's this vision for a vertically aligned ecosystem, right? And so you're probably very familiar with the fact that, you know, right now Ethereum is OFAC compliant and they look at, you know, this list of bad addresses and they're, they're doing, you know, there's, there's kind of centralized concern about uh, money laundering and, you know, illegal activities and those type of things. And so one of the things that a lot of the, you know, seriously independent people are seeing with Richard is before a lot of these things were really politically hot topics, Richard was talking about the freedom of speech, the freedom of movement and the freedom to transact. And of course, also privacy. And that vision, that's what really attracted me is to say, hold on a second, we're seeing this heavy hand of government. We saw this during the Charlie 19. It was definitely this time of hold on, there, there's overreach here. Do you see in you know how a lot of people see that the the pulse chain and having a place that has all of the infrastructure vertically aligned that you can go to a place and transact without having to be going through a centralized player or party our concern and my concern is that um the real goal behind the scenes from the traditional financial world is let's cut off every opportunity that people could have to get into true DeFi. We don't mind you having DeFi, but look at um, Uniswap, for example. Them, because of the, 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 um, the lawsuit against Richard Hart, they've delisted X. Well, they're a decentralized exchange, and you know, they were the big proponents of DeFi, and here we are, they've you know, shown us their hand, that no, they're gonna put their thumb on the scale and say, you know, we're going to pick and choose these winners and losers. That, I think, is something that really concerns a lot of people is to say, you know, do you see the need for there to be almost a preserved island of true DeFi in the marketplace? And is that possible, you know, that, you know, this or do you see that that's really the vision that Richard has versus just Hex? Yeah, I, I'm well, obviously the vision is bigger than Hex and I do think Pulse Chain makes sense as a way to like, you know, because, you know, Hex is the original Hex is built on Ethereum, right? So you're playing in someone else's playground. And so I think it makes sense to create your own playground and try and, you know, build all these cool applications on, on Pulse Chain. I, you know, it totally makes sense. Um, and I do think having those islands, you know, is healthy. I'm just, I'm not a fan, and I've talked about this on Twitter, you know, the tribalism, the Bitcoin maxis versus the hexagons, and there's been that. I'm also just, I, another way to put it is I'm not a huge fan of protectionism. So put a crypto aside and just think about the history 
of global civilization. Like if you think about nation states as these different entities, there are periods of time in which these inter entities engage and interact with one another. And there's times where they pull away from each other. And, you know, there are a lot of arguments for, you know, protect what's yours and focus on your own um, kind of priorities. And that's what protectionism and often populism leads to. And I know a lot of people are worried about, like you mentioned, the WHO for health, the WTO for trading, you know, the World Economic Forum, you know, multilateralism is like a bad word now. Yep. But, you know, multiculturalism or diplomacy, I've talked about crypto diplomacy, like I'm, I'm all for islands as long as it's not like, you know, that song, I am a rock, I am an island, it's like, yeah. uh, who is it? Paul Simon? Yeah. Like that's sad at some point. Like, I think that's the message of that song is like, it's not like I'm going to take my marbles and go home. It's like, let's create a better game that yeah. we can have more fun and more people can play. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, what, you know, may, let's say there's 20,000 different projects or tokens in, in the Ethereum blockchain. There's a lot, right? One of the hardest things to do in this world is to get people to care, right? To get people's attention and get people to care. And I think what's really unique about the, the Hexagon community, and I want to get your opinion on the community, is the fact that because the Hexagons had to witness what was happening with gatekeeping and the scammer stuff and, you know, constantly being on defense and constantly be, being characterized or mischaracterized, it is created, it's a form of hazing, right? It's created this, this brotherhood, sisterhood, family thing. And what I've been so impressed with, unlike any other community, is how many people, because of Richard's discipline of staying out of, you know, there's no centralized organization, that people have taken responsibility, like myself, to create a channel, to promote these things, to talk about these things. Um, What's your impression of the community? You know, you, you do this movie here, you're kind of thrust into the skeptic role. What's your impression of Hexagons? And it seems like I've watched your stuff on Twitter and I've actually found it very refreshing. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, the community has been great. So like, I, I, I'm so glad you asked this because I do want to say a few things about this. Um, like before I agreed to even participate in the film, I, had when, once I learned about hex, I started to learn about hexagons, and frankly, like I was afraid. <laughs> like, okay, you want me to be a skeptic in a movie that has this cult following, and I'm going to show up and say like everything you're doing is wrong. Like that is not going to end well for me. <laughs> like people joke about like. Yeah. I had basically zero Twitter presence before this. And part of that was like, I'm not somebody who wants to be like out there, blah, blah, blah. And part of it is like, I, I was worried people were gonna start trolling me and stuff like that. And so I still remember, what day was it? It was like, uh, I think it was last Saturday. I totally like changed my Twitter profile, my picture, my description and everything. And then I, all I did was tweet like, I'm the skeptic in the film. And I think I tagged Hex or something, or I tagged the film. And that was kind of me like waving the flag to the community of like, hey, I'm over here. And I wasn't sure how that was gonna go. 
But people have been so receptive, A, to my role in the film. People, you know, have really appreciated the objectivity and just the, the approach. And so that has been off, awesome. And then this last week, just all like, like the, the Twitter back and forth, like to me, it, it, like this has been one of the funnest weeks of my professional life. Oh my goodness. And, like, I mean that, like, and so I know there, and, and so like, I, I've said, I think like, A, I find this stuff super interesting. It is like an onion. And so like peeling these layers, getting into the math, into the game theory, like as an economist, I find that stuff fascinating. So that's been great. And B, the people, like the people have just been very open and receptive to teaching me basically and letting me put out my opinion and not like attacking me. Um, and so that's been awesome. I, and I know there's this concern now, like some people like want me to become a hexagon. Some people don't want me to become a hexagon. Like to me, like I'm not trying to become you. Like I'm like, I'm still me. I'm still the skeptic. But the more I learn, like the more value I see. I do think that's been clear this week. And so, you know, I'm still skeptical, but like there is a lot here. Yeah. And like I have issues with Richard, like what he and the team, you know, DevKev and the other people, what they built, like it's significant. Like I now will openly put that on record. And um, I just think the, the more I learn, the more I appreciate. To me, it's, it's the utility. Like the, all, so some of my more technical posts about like, what exactly is staking? It's a value transfer between you know, the holders and the stakers and so on. Like I have to work through that value in order to not walk away and say, oh, this is just vaporware. Yeah. And, and I'm getting there. And so, you know, I think people are wondering where this is headed. I don't know where this is headed, but I, you know, it's it's been a fun ride. And I'm I'm really grateful to be here and grateful that the community has been so receptive. Well, just as a, a testament to that, and this is something that, you know, my whole background is in is in uh, fundraising. And I worked for higher education, healthcare, ministry, you know, done a lot of different work you know, built a large company in that area. And when I came into this space, um, I felt the same way. And I had a, a, you know, a lot of what you're saying is kind of the impression that I had. But of course, I had an experience where I, at 2 a.m., I was up and I couldn't sleep. And I saw an ad on the on late night TV, on cable television. And it was, it was a 30-second ad and it was out of place, right? Between like a Geico ad and a car dealership ad in the middle of the night and it said, do you want to be rich? And I mean, really rich, right? And I was like, oh, what is this? And of course, I'm interested in marketing stuff. And I thought it was a network marketing thing, like this flashy, like, you know, uh, yachts and fast cars. And, and I pulled it up on my phone and I found it was crypto. And the funny part about it is I was like, you know what, this is intriguing to me, you know, that somebody would put this stuff, go to this length. And so I remember two days before Big Payday, which was a, a monumental time in, in the Hex story, I put $600 into Hex, right? And I, I, I was like, how much can I put in that my wife won't notice? And if I lose it all, I'm not in big trouble, right? So very you know, conservative in that respect. And I had been in some other crypto. But you know, I would come home from 
work each day and I'd sit at the table with the family and I'd say, you know, that crypto thing, you know, yeah, that, um, that hex thing, it's, uh, you know, it's 1200 bucks. She's like, what'd you put into it? I said, well, I put 600 into it. She's like, that's crazy. And I come back the next day, it's 3,400 and then it's 7,500 and then it's 11,000 and then it's 15,000. And my wife, every time I would talk about crypto, she would say that that's not real. That's not real money. And so my, my daughter turned 16 and I said, I'm going to prove to you that it's real money. And we bought her a car. And, you know, obviously she knows that the crypto is real now. But what was really interesting to me is as I got into this and what brought me into this was that Richard was going to fork Ethereum, right? I'm like, this is a big deal. I want to be a part of this because I missed the, the early days of Hex. But here's the thing that, that I learned. I got into this because I was like, hey, I want to make some money. And I don't hear any guys with gray hair talking the way I do. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, I'm going to participate in this and pump my own bags. Little did I know. So on March 18th of last year, my father passed away suddenly. And a guy from the Hexican community named David Lee, who's in the chat, drove seven and a half hours from southwestern Indiana to come to my dad's, um, to the funeral home and to the funeral. And what's, hang on a second. What's incredible about that is None of my friends from high school came to my dad's funeral, not one. And here is David Lee sitting with me at the funeral home and hanging out. And I've heard so many stories of people within this community. And, I, and I, I've had to reflect on that because in the traditional financial world, I never got together with my buddies over my 401k. I wasn't like, hey, man, that Vanguard fund, let's have a beer, right? There's something different that's happening that is and especially with men in our culture right now, because a lot of the people in the Mexican community are men. And I'm going to tell you, we did a, a generosity conference with a group of mostly Mexicans and Pulsicans. And I'm going to tell you something, the friendship that's being forged by adults, which most adult, it's hard to, you know, if you've got families and such, it's hard to have deep friendships. And that's the thing that I think is the biggest differentiator for me is that I would go to Las Vegas to a, to a conference of Hexican conference, and there would be every walk of life, every race, every orientation, every religion, and people are high-fiving and hugging each other. And there's something unique here that is not, this isn't a merely a financial product. I believe that actually um, it's a catalyst for community. And that obviously is a big differentiator of what this really means. And so one of the things I think you're going to find is you got to be pretty optimistic to be in, in crypto in this speculative area. But I think that, you know, we would love to see you in the community and at events, maybe speaking in an event or such. But um, hopefully you've gotten a taste of that. But there's something really special. And I don't think it's just reserved to the Hexagon community, but I think it's on its, its greatest display in the Hexagon community. Yeah. And I have experienced that. I mean, just even though Twitter is impersonal in that sense, like seeing people respond, I'm able to respond to them. Like I, that's part of why all this like is just like bubbling over is because like, I don't have that many people to talk to crypto. About. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, wait a second, all these people want to talk about this stuff. This is awesome. And so like, it, yeah. that's part of what's been so fun and just, you know, then like I want to give a shout out to Quattro Cinco. I've oh, done that yeah. on Twitter. Like he was my tutor during the film. 
he was the one who like patiently walked me through the white paper, answered my questions, explained T-shares, explained you know, how the compound interests work, how inflation works. Um, and so you know, I've got a lot to learn. People have been very patient. And this question of like, am I a hexagon or not? Like, if I can be like part of the community, like I feel like I've become over this last week, like I'm happy to be part of the community. And so like whether like what label you put on that, I don't know, time will tell. But like I'm also like the more I engage, the more I learn. And it's like regardless of where that learning takes me, like that has to be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, 100 percent. And and we just want to say to you and really on behalf of the community, thank you for your open mindedness. Also, I want you know, I, I believe that you've really shared, hey, you know, this is a, um, this is really an exciting time in human history, in my opinion, where the money is changing and we have opportunities we haven't had before. Um, and I think it's really important that we have all different voices and all different perspectives, you know, accounted for. So you are very welcome here. So that number one. But I also wanted to kind of wrap things up here with with some of the things about um, the hex that might be confusing or concerning or um or maybe blind spots for hexagons, right? Here you are, somebody who is, you, you know your stuff. What are the things that that might be a bit of advice or questions you have about, you know, about hacks or about, you know, kind of the way things are done in this community? Well, first of all, are we wrapping up at the top of the hour now? Yeah. That's okay. usually what I do. I can go as long right, as you I'm want. I'm going to answer this quickly, though. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're, we don't have a hard stop, just so you know. Okay. I'll just, uh, my quick take on this is, um, you know, I, one thing that I have has been so great about engaging with the community this week is seeing how many people know this stuff. Yeah. Like it's sort, now I've got like a hundred teachers or even, you know, a few hundred teachers. It's like I put something out there and people are kind of like, well, have you thought about this? And actually it's this and blah, blah, blah. Like that's awesome. Um, my guess is there's some people in the hex community who haven't given it this time to think about. And there's probably some people who are like, you know, why is this guy talking about this weird stuff? Like reason answer asking these kind of odd questions. But like to me, like if you don't understand it, you shouldn't invest in it. So I'm I'm hoping that my role is somewhat as like a sounding board for the community. I do think I bring that kind of outside perspective. And I hope there's people in the community who actually come to appreciate Hex and Pulse Chain and all of that more through this interaction. Because I think it's it's like there was a few things on Twitter, but it was like, you know, it's only when you push against something and you see that it pushes back that you're like, oh, there's something here. And so I hope that my pushing, you know, makes this community stronger. Yeah. And I think it absolutely does. But you also represent something that you might not even know you represent. And that is for so long, there's been there's been um, there's been so many misconceptions. Right. And I think a lot of people um, it's kind of a, a drive by kind of attitude as it relates to Richard Hart. And of course, you know, he's he's attracted a lot of that type of attention. I think that people have joked that Hex is an IQ test, right? And if you pass the IQ test, you kind of get into the community. But there's a part of that that's true, right? And I think the, the 
you know, outrage marketing hasn't helped that because, you know, it's dissonant, right? And even Richard, I've, I've been able to interview him a couple of times and he even said to me, he's like, I don't even like buying bottled water. You know, when it comes to like his actual, like who he is, this is very, you know, he, he's playing a character or a role to try to get people's attention. And of course, there's a lack of somewhat authenticity in that. And it's a, it's a character. But when you actually see him engaging with people where he's safe, right, where they're friends, um, it's, it's really amazing because he's a really smart guy. And he's talking about things that, you know, this isn't just merely contained to financial conversations or economics. It's actually, we're talking community. You know, I do, you know, every Friday I do a whole two-hour stream on the Bible. I mean, there's so much going on in this space, but it's people wanting to get better, right? People are looking at, right, how do we do this in a way? But to me, what's refreshing about DeFi is that, you know, and, and my understanding is you're a man of the book as well. And so I'll kind of toss this one at you a little bit. When I look around at creation and I see you know, how we partner with the, with the ground as a farmer, right? To, to crack the ground open, to throw in a seed and hope that it rains and the sun shines on it. That one seed it has a harvest of abundance, right? And this idea of delaying gratification is part of this partnership that we have with creation. It says, all right, I'm going to do this little bit of work, but I don't germinate the seed, Sometimes the seed is good and sometimes the seed is bad, but that one can turn into many. And this idea of a harvest, this idea of yield, this idea of delaying gratification, there's something so connected to um, really the really coordinating with the very framework and structure of creation itself. And I feel like what we're seeing out in the world is a scarcity model. And it's almost like we're getting a taste that, hold on, things could be a different way if we considered others in addition to ourselves. And the thing that I see in Richard Hart and I see in this community is people that aren't saying, I'm going to step on your neck, I'm going to step on your head, and I'm going to win at all costs. I see people saying, let's win together. And of course, you know, the great John Nash winning the Nobel Prize in 1994 for game theory for the Nash equilibrium. This idea, if I consider what's better for others in addition to myself, we all win, is at the very essence and core of what we see in DeFi as being revolutionary. And so, you know, what I'm, what I'm really interested in is having someone like you, which you've taken the time to actually understand and not merely dismiss something because, you know, you might've been turned off by someone's language or, you know, something that doesn't fit culturally. Um, so I want to thank you for that, but also get your, your thoughts on, do you see things changing in this wholesale way like many of us do? I'm going to say yes and, and no. Okay. Um, so I am a man of the book, and so I, I do appreciate that there, uh, that this is, this community is not just about fighting. It's not just about winning. It's also about, you know, finding the best in each other. Somebody used the word, you know, symbiotic, even within the hex ecosystem of, you know, stakers and non-stakers, there's a, it's a value exchange. And it's really people with different preferences and trading off those preferences. And so it's not like that's, it's not a zero sum game. 
building wealth isn't I get richer, you get poorer. It's how do we cooperate to build a bigger pie? Yeah. And that's something that I'm starting to see in the hexagon community. And whether that's on Twitter or whether it's in the finances, like it's, and somebody made this great point in one of the threads of like, value isn't just quantitative. Yeah. You know, it's not just a higher price. It's, you know, quality of life. It's, you know, relationships. It's all these things, um, which, which I, I just thought was awesome. And so, you know, I do have that hope for what Hex can be and, and Pulse Chain in this community. Um, you know, I, but again, I don't see this as this is the only group that has the truth. Yeah. So that would be like my one word of caution. And as a religious person, if you look at religious history, it is also full of tribalism. And it is very often one part, let's say, of the Christian church. Think about Catholics versus Protestants. Oh, yeah. I'm right. You're wrong. Aren't yeah. we both Christians? Yeah. But then it becomes this sort of like who truth and orthodoxy and purity and things like that. And it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. And so I just I hope and what I appreciate about the Hex community is this openness. Like the only trolling I've gotten so far is from the Bitcoin maxis. Man, yeah. they like yeah. some of them got nasty over this last week. Um, but I also wouldn't like if hexagon means I become part of some insular group that circles the wagons. I'm not a hexagon. Yeah. Because I don't think that's what community should be. It should be loving and supportive and holistic and building each other up, but not as this like ring fence us against the world. That is yep. not helpful. No, I agree with you. And, you know, we've witnessed it. We haven't seen it in person. Richard has not streamed in quite a long time, but he made it really clear when the movie came out that he said, the person that you see in the movie has died and this is humble me. So we're looking forward to actually getting a taste of, of humble Richard. Um, but I think that what's really great about this story is we can identify with it because of the fact that, you know, pretty much everyone that I meet in this community has seen hard times one time or another. And I've seen, um, you know, I, I've seen regular people winning in a way that they couldn't have won otherwise. Um, but here's the thing also that, that comes with that. I went to a meetup in Austin, Texas, and it was the first time as a, as a YouTuber that I ever went to a meetup with anyone from the community. And I walked into that room and it was an amazing reception, but a man came up to me, he was probably 65 years old, and he came up to me and he said, hey, Crypto Heartbeat, he goes, I like your stuff. Um, I got more money than I know what to do with. And you know what he was actually saying to me? He wasn't talking about money. He was saying, would you be my friend? And here's the thing that I've noticed in this community more than anything. We think that money is going to bring us some sort of happiness or success or anything like that. But what I've found in this community is the fact that we've got some carrot on a stick that we can focus on and be hopeful for actually gives us an excuse to get together and to um, participate in a positive way in other people's lives. And what I've seen is the belonging nature of the community, caring for one another, um, is really comes out of this advocacy that Richard's kind of led with to say, hey, you know, those those that have been 
uh, what do they say? The, the, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. And I feel like there's, rather than it being circle the wagons and being tribal, it's to say, we have something special here that we ought to protect. And it's not just the code. It's not just that. And so, you know, you're going to have DGENs no matter where you go, right? And there are people that are immature wherever you go. But um, there's something really special about this group of people that um, has endured much. And so I appreciate your time. I appreciate you, you, you know, sharing with us your background. I know you're going to be on other uh, YouTubers and shows within this community. Looking forward to that. Um, but I just appreciate someone who you're, you're I think you're, you're helping, I think, a lot of people see what professional, open-minded, you know, concerned, conscientious people are like, regardless of what their background is. And so um, I thank you so much for, for one, being in the film, and two, engaging in this type of conversation. Well, thanks for having me. And I, and I do, like, I honestly want to say thank you to the community. I know, like, some people have to be wondering, like, hmm, like, what's going on here? What's the intention? Where is this headed? Like, I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I just appreciate that people are letting me put stuff out there and they're responding to it. So I hope we can continue the conversation. And uh, I look forward to, you know, being part of the community in whatever way that that is. Awesome. Well, we look forward to I look forward to you being on these other. I know that number of people within the community would love to have you on their shows. And um, and thanks for engaging with us. I, I personally believe you are really good for the Hexagon community because it shows, um, you know, thoughtful consideration rather than maxi behavior. So so thank you for that. And, you know, I, I encourage you to be as um, as honest with your opinions as possible, because we need that. We need some objectiveness at times to actually reflect to us what what is really being telegraph to people because you know a big part of this is the narrative so dr black i think you may be finn you may be finn <laughs> anything any final words how can people find you i know you've got a website and you're you're a professor are there places where are you on twitter where are these places people can connect with you uh so i'm on yeah twitter lamont k black um um my website lamontblack.com some people have asked me if I've done any writing and things like that. I actually put a bunch of my material on the website. So if you go under courses and crypto and blockchain, I've written quite a bit. There's a bunch of pages buried on that website. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't know how people feel about LinkedIn, but uh, happy right. to connect there as well. That's more my TradFi side. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta have it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that Twitter is this place where we can connect. So I, I look forward to connecting with more people there. Awesome. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. Lamont Black, the skeptic, is one who is open-minded. And thanks so much for engaging with us here and being on this. Look forward to, to seeing you on other shows and I appreciate your time. Thanks, Crypto Heartbeat. All right. You bet.